Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. That's the great George Ezra here on the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, We've been looking at this Ukraine situation and somebody that uh, I think has been uh, really on the money in terms of his own analysis of the situation and uh, not just not just recently, but for a number of years is David Hendrickson. He is the president of the John Quincy Adams Society and Sir Emeritus of Political Science at Colorado College. David, thanks so much for getting up so early. I know it is a rough time. Yeah, well, uh, it's fun to be with you. I uh, kind of wonder who your audience is at this time of the night in oh. New York City. But uh, well, they're substantial. I'm sure it's a good class me. of people. That is for sure. They're certainly substantial. By the way, before we get into uh, the article in the National Interest that caught my attention, what is the John Quincy Adams Society? It's an educational nonprofit. Uh, we have uh, chapters uh, across the country that uh, bring in speakers and that sort of thing and organize student clubs to talk about uh, issues of foreign policy and hopefully educate them about some of the foreign policy traditions and principles of the United States. Now, in order to be president of the John Quincy Adams Society, did you also have to have your father be president of it? <laughs> right. Yeah, we go back a long way with the Adams. I, I can imagine. All right, now um, you have this terrific uh, article. I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page at uh, facebook.com/slash Morano fan. How America can really help Ukraine, and you write about how the United States needs to start thinking about solutions that will lessen the number of people killed, and how there's a big difference between doing that versus hurting the Russians. Let's look at what America has done thus far. Uh, One of the big um, weapons that America has been deploying so far has been sanctions. It got a little worse yesterday with uh, President Biden making the announcement that they're not going to allow any imports of Russian gasoline. What's your view of how sanctions have worked out and how they will work out? Well, I think at the end of the day, we're going to regard what we did, especially the seizure of the Russian central bank assets, as a huge self-inflicted wound. Uh, I don't think they're going to get the Russians out of Ukraine. I don't think they're going to overthrow Putin. But I do think they're going to bring a really first-class 
economic calamity uh, to the world. And the reason, uh, Frank, is that uh, that's a gigantic step. I mean, you know, that's a WFD, a weapon of financial destruction in the sense that it signifies the abolition of all contracts with the Ruskies or Russian companies. Now, that's a big deal because they play a really important role in a lot of very important commodity complexes. I mean, energy, oil and natural gas, uh, all the metals, all the grains. And uh, I think that we've thrown a wrench into the uh, works there, you know, because once you have uh, a series of defaults, that sort of thing, uh, lots of counterparty risk, uh, lots of things going awry. Now, the administration has been very Pollyannish about that and said, well, we'll choose what we can, what we're willing to buy, as if the Russians have no say in the matter, but they do. Uh, you know, they have to decide what they're going to sell. Yeah, well, and, and additionally, as you point out, not only does this open America up for Russian reprisal in the form of things like cyber warfare and other things, but it essentially pushes Russia into a permanent economic alliance with with China and other adversarial countries. Yeah, I mean, that's been a long time in the making, the the alliance between China and Russia. And I think that, you know, basically we had a policy towards both of them that kind of made them permanent enemies. And uh, we sought to prevent them from having any friends. And so they're in the sack together right now and realize that uh, one another is about the only people they got to stand with them. Okay, so that alliance now, from my point of view, is fundamentally unbreakable from the standpoint of the West. I, I don't think it had to be that way, but that's kind of the way it is. And so, you know, when we sanction the Russians, uh, we'll also be trying to, you know, go after the Chinese insofar as the Chinese lend help to the Russians. And I think we're going to meet with a big refusal mm. on the Chinese point of view from them. You know, in other words, that we won't be able to do that successfully. Now, so much of the conversation about helping the Ukrainians, not only from the United States, but from other Western allies, has focused on the idea of military aid for the Ukrainians so that they can fight back on a more even footing with the superior Russian military. You don't think that uh, military aid for the Ukrainians is a good idea either. How come? Well, uh, let me put it this way, that, you know, Ukraine has to fight with the army it has, uh, like other states at war. And um, it's just extremely difficult to see how U.S. military aid at this point is going to alter the outcome of the big battles in the East. Uh, the the um, You know, there's a kind of uh, double talk from the administration in this regard, uh, similar to the double talk that preceded the war with regard to NATO expansion, you know, which has a sort of uh, now you see it, now you don't character. Because they say on the one hand, oh, we're not going to intervene in the war. You know, that's out of the question. And I mean, I think that's the right decision to not do a fly zone, no fly zone and things of that sort, because that would be World War Three. That's a very serious thing. But we do say 
you know, somehow we're going to send in all of this aid that's going to alter the war, but that won't be an intervention. But you know, they need to make up their mind as to what they intend to do. And uh, I do think that there would be, you know, some kind of military aid that could conceivably be relevant in altering the outcome of these battles over the next month or two. But then that would be an intervention. That would be the thing they've ruled out. And if it's not that, then it's not going to alter it. Uh, so that's the first point I'd like to make. The second one is that the, um, you, you know, the implicit strategy of the U.S. is, uh, well, the Soviets have, or the Russians have done in Afghanistan. So our response is, we're going to make it a bloody Afghanistan. Hey, look. 40 years on, uh, what is Afghanistan now? I mean, it's the biggest hellhole on the planet, mm -hmm. and there are, half of them are going to starve this winter. And uh, we don't want that outcome. I don't want that outcome for Ukraine. And I think that there can be, you know, kind of political solutions. I mean, resistance to occupation can sometimes take a peaceful form and be effective, you know, over time. Uh, not necessarily right away, but over time. And so I do think we need to be thinking in those terms, you know, kind of beyond the present moment. Uh, you know, I read the other day that uh, all the bridges in Ukraine are now destroyed. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering what's going to happen to the majority of the people in terms of their ability to, you know, have any kind of right. decent existence. Right. Well, Who's uh, going to pay for that? So – if sanctions is not a great strategy for aiding the Ukrainians, if military aid is not something that's a great strategy for um, helping the Ukrainians, look, we see Vladimir Putin and Russia act as the aggressor here and invade a uh, an independent sovereign country. Doesn't the United States and the West and the international community have to do something to show its displeasure with Putin, if it's not increased military aid and if it's not sanctions, what is it? What is the best way to number one show Russian dis, uh, to, uh, Russian disapproval, and number two help the people that we say we want to help the Ukrainians? Well, I mean, you know, my my basic proposition is that they're kind of beyond our help at this point. I mean, in terms of what we really want to give them, which is independence from Putin and Russia. Uh, that's a very unfortunate fact, but it's kind of been that way, actually, you know, for a long time, and we didn't admit it to ourselves. That is, we said, uh, okay, we're going to expand NATO to bring in Ukraine, and that's a threat against the Russians. And that was also uh, a message to the Ukrainians, hey, we've got your back. And then when it actually came to the time, well, we didn't have their back, and we really couldn't because that would mean a war. And uh, so we did kind of lead them on with, into this very impossible situation. Now, as I say, though, I don't see the way out of it through a war. We can't go to war to save them, and I don't think the, the military aid will really do that. So, I mean, you know, you would hope to do that through diplomacy. And, uh, you know, historically, I mean, there were some – reasons for the Russians to want to have at least minimally decent relations with the West. Now, I think that's kind of gone now, unfortunately, and I don't really see a way back diplomatically to that situation. So uh, the uh, 
I know that's not a satisfactory answer to people to say, well, there's not really a lot we can do. I think we've done too much in the sense that we've done a lot of things that are going to recoil upon us, and we don't realize the the cascading consequences down the pike from all of these sanctions that we've taken. And uh, so, you know, as I say, though, I, you know, over the long term, there are economic instruments, there's diplomatic uh, pressures and that sort of thing, whereby to, you know, conceivably think about a settlement, but it's way too early to do that because we don't know what the situation is going to be on the ground. We don't even know what Putin's war aims are. I mean, you know, those are really unclear. I mean, I could explain why they are if if you have well, sure, you go ahead. Get into that, sure. I mean, so he stated that his criteria for ending this uh, this siege is um, recognition of Russian control of Crimea, independence for those two breakaway republics in the Donbass region, demilitarization, and a pledge of neutrality and abstention from. Any international blocks, presumably things like NATO and the EU, you think there's more to his uh, his goals than just those those goals, those stated well, goals? Well, uh, I think the real big trouble comes with the third. And what does that mean? Neutralization and a new government in Ukraine that's not hostile to Russia. Well, you know, what he's done is so angered uh, the majority of the Ukrainian people that uh, even if he hives off a certain section in the east that I think would be larger than the Donbass, there's still the whole west of the country that's going to be anti-Russian. So, you know, the dilemma from the Russian point of view is they don't want to occupy the place, but they have a set of war aims that require them to occupy the place. They can't occupy the whole country, but any solution that they accept that doesn't entail that means that they've reconstituted, you know, this dangerous line somewhere in Ukraine uh, that's going to separate <clears throat> separate the east and the west. So it's that contradiction. You know, it's sort of like Bush in 2003 in Iraq. Hey, we're going to invade Iraq and put in a new government, and then the UN will come in in a couple of months and you know take it off our hands. Well. <laughs> Didn't work out that way, did it? I mean, who's going to take it off his hands? But, I don't see. I mean, is it a quizzling government that he's going to appoint? I don't see that working. So I don't have – You know, there's a sort of basic kind of what is the outcome that he wants, Putin. And I, don't, I, I still don't see it. I mean, I think it's very unclear. And, of course, a lot of it will depend upon, you know, whether we have these big battles in the cities and – whether well, there's a siege of Kiev or, a, you know, how stout the people are in terms of fighting him and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's all very unclear to me. I don't However, have a, I don't have a, a great answer for what the United States should do next either. But, I, you know, I do know that Americans see all these images of these Ukrainians being murdered and fleeing their homes and a million and a half refugees being forced to flee their country. And they view Putin and the Russians, in spite of the role that NATO may have played in sort of spoiling for war, they view Putin as the man that's responsible for that. And to basically just say, all right, well, there's nothing the international community and the nothing nothing the West can do 
It doesn't sit right with most Americans' sense of justice. You can understand that, right? Absolutely. No, and I think that, you know, as I wrote, that the invasion was, you know, five times wrong and 12 times stupid. I mean, I don't see it. Uh, and I didn't think he would do it. And it was so crazy. Well, neither did I. Without yeah. even telling the Russian people. So I, I admit all of that. And I, I totally accept that, yeah, it's a very unfortunate situation to be in one in which you recognize an act of injustice going on and you're kind of powerless effectively to deal with it. Um, so, yeah, that's unfortunate. And uh, But as I say, that's the situation that we got ourselves into by entertaining these very ambitious objectives in an area that the Russians regarded as a vital interest to them. And, uh, you know, I mean, think back to 2003. Uh, I would I would caution Americans to think, you know, we fought a lot of wars and we bombed a lot of cities in Syria and Iraq in the last 10 years. And even then before that went into Baghdad. And, you know, the networks never actually looked at those from the standpoint of the people who were getting hit. All right. I mean, we didn't have CNN cameras down there with the uh, jihadis that we were uh, sure. uh, killing. And whenever a city is taken, I mean, it's a terrible thing. I don't care who does it. And the methods that you use to do it are awful, and people get killed. And it's disgusting because war is kind of intrinsically disgusting. And I I do believe that, and I have pacifistic dispositions as a consequence, having you know seen those consequences all over the world. But we also have to apply a standard that's fair, you know, like what are they doing versus what did we do and how did we conduct these uh, operations when we took a city. And if you look at Kobani and, uh, you know, Mosul and all of these cities in Syria and Iraq in the aftermath of the American operation, uh, the civilians didn't do so well there. I'm telling you, you know, every building was flattened. So, yeah, war's terrible, and uh, we uh, we need to we should have a diplomacy that tries to avoid that. I don't think we did in the approach to this Ukraine crisis, and now we're in a situation, as I say, where we most intensely want to help them. And I, I understand where that's coming from, but practically, we can't. Mm. I mean, practically, we only have available a set of means, these draconian economic sanctions that aren't going to achieve the object. They're not going to bring Putin down. Uh, they're not going to get the Russians out, but they're going to do a lot of damage to us and to the world economy. Mm-hmm. And then we have the military option, whereas, uh, just to repeat myself, whether, you know, where we re- really rejected going to war, rightly, but the means that we've chosen short of that are not going to actually do the thing we want to do. So, yeah, that's a bad situation yeah, to be that, in. That is for that's sure. Not, not a lot of reasons to be optimistic. All right, David, we're going to have to end it there. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you. I enjoy reading your work. I want to, If people are interested in learning more about your view of foreign policy and America's place in the world, they should check out the book Republic in Peril, American Empire and the Liberal Tradition. Uh, they can also go to your website, davidhendrickson.org. David, thanks so much for the time this morning. 